Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm great, Darren. Each day is better than the last. I'm uh, remote, um, but we're, we're, we're getting closer to being able to see, to press the flesh. Um, we, I, I, I will. I think I will always be emotionally remote, though. That is the key. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're like a, a distant planet, um, like a, or, 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 or like Pluto, which is like not cold really a planet, more a planetoid. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, this is a very odd introduction for the episode that we have, which is we're talking about the 1990 Albert Pion's version of Captain America. Um, and we have a very special guest joining us for this discussion who arrived by his own choice of his own will. We asked him, you can talk about any movie you want on the top 250, the bottom 100. He said, yes, I'd like to talk about Pulp Fiction, but I would also like to talk about Captain America. So we said, yep, let's do both. The wonderful Mr. Scott Mendelson from Forbes. How are you, Scott? Which film is on the bottom 250? Which one's on the top 250? <laughs> We're not sure. I'm going to have to double check this and then go back to my notes. <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Our pleasure. And we know that you have a kind of a bit of a hard out because you're actually somebody who does like work in the industry and has like things to do rather than talk all day. So what we're going to ask is, is just before we kind of go into talking about the movie, is there anything you'd like to plug? Where can we find you? What? Yeah, just for our listeners. Just introduce uh, I do my writing at Forbes.com. So if you want to Google some variation of Forbes, Scott Mendelson in the ticket booth, I will pop up. Uh, my uh, Twitter is at Scott Mendelson. And that's basically it for social media. I have a Facebook. That's mostly for if you want to see my family photos. You're welcome. Dean. <laughs> well, you're not encouraging it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for privacy reasons. Um, and, and we will say, actually, like, and I think I mentioned this last time, but yeah, Scott is, is generally, for my money, one of the best writers uh, in the industry, at least, uh, particularly when it comes to the business side of stuff as well. One of the best. Very writers. Oh, okay. Oh. Why do you have to say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, do you, why do you have to? Because well, Andrew's well, also on the podcast. I didn't want to embarrass Andrew. Of um, course. Yeah. Of course. I'm a fan of yours as well. Uh, no, no, Scott. Yeah, no, I'm um, thrilled. But so, yes, when we were kind of talking about what we want to have you on to talk about, you kind of you said Pulp Fiction. We, we talked about Pulp Fiction. By the which way. Is a, Sorry, you really did dig a hole there. <laughs> it's I, like I, one of the best. And it's like, well, we're including Andrew as well. It's like, oh, <laughs> you want to make him feel worse? Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Um, but yes, so, so so Scott, when we when we reached out to you, we talked about like what you'd like to talk about, movies you've said. And you said like Pulp Fiction, we talked about that. But you also singled out this movie, this 1990 very odd comic book adaptation. And it had a very storied history kind of coming to screen. But you kind of singled that out as one that you would love to talk about. What is it about the 1990 version of Captain America that said, yes, that is a movie that I think I want to talk about. I'm going to get really excited about. Well, it's better than most of the MCU. If we're No, I'm kidding. Um... <laughs> It's a fascinating time capsule slash relic from a time when A, comic book superhero movies weren't that plentiful. Uh, they were generally not that good. And our standards were frankly a lot lower, especially if, you know, I was 10, 11 when this, I finally saw this. So I knew it was bad objectively, but there was stuff that I enjoyed about it as an 11 year old that still made it worth watching for me. Um, you know, without going into too many details for later in the discussion, it was bright, it was colorful, it had a, a, a scenery-chewing villain, uh, it was rather violent, which, and I was at the age where that was cool. Um, 
But amusingly enough, it debuted on VHS, which is I think yeah. how most Americans saw it for the first time. Um, almost I right alongside the VHS debut of the two-part pilot for the CBS Flash TV show, which ran for one season on, on CBS in, I think, 1991. It, the ratings were okay, but it was really expensive, so it didn't last more than a season. Um, back in 1990-91, the comic book field was so barren that by default, that two-part pilot episode, which, you know, the Flash movie, if you want to call it that, was one of the best superhero movies ever made. <laughs> And I watched it, God, and I guess it's been six years. It was, I rewatched it right before the first series season finale of season one of The Flash, which seemed recent when I did it, but that was what, six years ago? <laughs> um, this stage, yeah. And it still holds up. I mean, it's, it's part of it is because, you know, they're working on a TV budget, so they can't afford tons of special effects and spectacles, so they have to make sure the character stuff works. And in that sense, the relationships were on the Flash show right now. Um, you know, John Wesley's Shep star turn, Amanda Bays as is is the the head of Star Labs and a kind of sort of romantic interest. Uh, you know, that stuff works. The relationships work. The the you know the tough talking character actors being somewhat comic book cops works. And again, it was just grounded enough. And this was you know 15 years before Batman Begins. Um, where it was neat seeing a comic book superhero show, movie, whatever you want to call it, that felt real, that felt bitched at smart kids and intelligent adults. And yes, was a little violent. Um, you know, it was TV safe, mind you, but bodies did drop. Um, and conversely, Captain America was, let's be honest, not good. Um, it was very cheap. It wasn't particularly well acted, although I will argue Scott Pollan makes an interesting Red Skull. Um, but again, when I you're agree with that. a little kid, I'm sorry, what was that? No, I was just saying I'd, 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 I'd agree with that. So as a kid, I knew it was bad. Yeah, they, they, it's, it, it's an, it, it is an interesting one. I mean, the 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 that idea of not knowing a movie is um, bad. I mean, I mean, the, 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 well, knowing I, but not caring, so to speak. Yeah, perhaps. yeah, exactly. Like, like, I guess it depends kind of what age you're at, because like, um, it sounds as though like even even by the, like kind of age eleven, you knew this was um, not a good movie. I guess, um, but. Um, I think we we've had like Alex previously on on, on the um, Alex Towers on talking about a few movies recently, and him sharing that kind of feeling of going along to see a movie and it's like oh it's great that there is a new uh, Indiana Jones movie for example and and not, not, not to spoil what we'll be talking about <laughs> later this summer but yes yeah 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 exactly we may have in the past or in the future have had these conversations. <laughs> um, but, but no, I think there, there's something very interesting there in terms of what, what Scott mentioned in terms of like situating this as an artifact of the before times, before like comic book movies became ubiquitous, before comic book movies like became, took over the mainstream. And again, like so it's. it's interesting not to talk too much about like the bottom 100 on the IMDb list, but it's it's interesting how many of those movies are 
pre-MCU, particularly like, say, pre-Raimi Spider-Man, pre-Singer X-Men comic book movies. Movies like, say, Steel, for example. Movies like Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, which I suspect we'll come back to in this conversation later. Movies like Catwoman, Batman and Robin. And this kind of, like, weird space that you have before Hollywood has figured out how to turn these superhero vehicles into a self-sustaining, perpetual motion, billion-dollar franchise. It's it's just... Super serious... Kind of uh, some, something that you wouldn't, um, something that nobody would be ashamed to vote number one on the on top IMDb. 250 on IMDb. Um, Around about 2008, let's say, hypothetically speaking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's, it's, it's funny, though, because like how, how it, it's good in a way because we, 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 we have all of these kind of movies to enjoy now. But Kind of, it sometimes feels like, um, and I think there's enough exceptions to the sort of um, gravitas that um, that comic book movies have been given that makes it kind of acceptable. But it's not always it, it 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 it's it's nice to look back at a a <laughs> an exceedingly um, silly um a comic book movie innocent without notions perhaps would be yeah, the way to describe yeah, it yeah and i i think the movie's not without notions either like it's <laughs> it's interesting the, the 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 idea of it being a relic like it's it's not just in terms of the the movie landscape and the comic book landscape but of of how like was this movie it felt like a movie that was probably kind of um terrible timing for some of its themes because it would just become out of date like immediately um or or quite soon at least for for a lot of the kind of anxieties around us which i i guess we'll get into spoilers for history um um, most depressing thing about it in terms of its datedness is that movies like it and that same summer the naked gun two and a half which is very good you know we've gone from big movies where the villains want to destroy the environment to subversive blockbusters where the villains want to destroy the world to save the environment. And I get the idea of writing complex villains for complex movies with complex motivations, but considering how dumb the populace at all has found itself to be, I'm not sure that was a wise decision over the long haul. So uh, Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin might be... Well, Thanos in, in Endgame, for example, yeah. but even going back further, people like, say, Scaramanga in uh, was yeah. it The Man with the Golden Gun. Like, there's this long history of villains who want to save the environment. And yeah, that's actually a very good point about the earnestness of Captain America, where you have, like, again, not to get too specific, but the central plot hinges on President Tom... Kimball wanting to introduce environmental regulations and the military industrial complex slash the Italian mafia slash the relics of the Nazi party are all conspiring in order Japan to Japan and Germany those. as well. Like contemporary yeah, to the, the it's, it's, it's yeah, late eighties kind of like diehard sort of like, you know, diehard yeah. rising sun it's, kind of sensibility happening. There I like Robocop well. tree. Ronnie Cox is in this. Relic of a time when films like that or unapologetically political without it being a thing, because of course you are. You're making a superhero movie. Of course the villains are Nazis and people who want to destroy the environment. There's nothing to think peace about that. That's normal. 
Yeah, like that—that's a really strange thing to have a reaction to a 1990 version of Captain America that is not necessarily not very good, and also not particularly like faithful in terms of comic book continuity. Not that that matters, because obviously things like the Red Skull is now in Italian. All of the names are changed. The character functions are the same, but the the history has shifted. But one of the things I find interesting is that like this is the only Captain America movie where the Red Skull is a Nazi, which is stunning to me. Like for for all that we talk about like comic book faithfulness and like how weirdly political it is, it's like yep, yeah, this the Red Skull is a Nazi. He wears a Nazi uniform. That is who he is. Uh, as opposed to there being really fine supervillains on both sides or something along those lines. Um, but uh, yeah, just just to provide some context to this because I think Andrew was kind of asking that in terms of like situating Captain America 1990 in terms of like film and where it came out. Scott no, was entirely no, right. Kind of more more kind of thinking of it in terms of where the world was. Oh yeah, well you were suggesting though that it was kind of like that it was out of time, the movie itself was out of time. Um, because And, and it was, because as Scott pointed out this was not a theatrically released movie and in fact actually if you watch it on iTunes today it reminded me of watching a movie on VHS. It had that kind of like VHS sensibility. It's, it's only available on most it. online retailers in 4.3. Yeah, <laughs> it is probably the right way to watch it to be fair. Um, but yeah, so you, this was You didn't watch the projector in your 4K print? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, release, there, there is a director's release cut. the cuss. <laughs> yeah. there, there is, like, Albert, Albert Piana has a director's cut of this that I couldn't get a hold of in time, and I'm kind of disappointed that I couldn't. Apparently it's it's out of print, as one might expect. Surprisingly, not yeah, a bestseller. I, I bought that years ago if I could get my hands on it. Is this like a rusty old film cut? Pretty much, like... it's his version, yeah. Probably. It takes a touring. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, to give you a sense of how complicated the situation with Captain America is, for a while, uh, the director, Albert Pion, had a um, work print version of it himself, but he couldn't screen it or sell it or release it under threat of lawsuit um, because the rights issues were rather complicated. Um, This is an offshoot of canon films, and you can probably tell that from the texture and the feel of it. Uh, what basically happened is uh, Albert Pion is a director. He's been described as the new Ed Wood. He was pitched as the new Ed Wood in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, famously, he was supposed to direct Spider-Man when uh, Canon Films had secured the rights to Spider-Man. That fell through, but they decided that they weren't going to let like the sets and the script go to waste. So they rewrote the movie uh, from scratch and used the same sets and special effects setup for Cyborg, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um at the same time, and again, to a bit of context in terms of superhero movie history, Canon Films had managed to secure the production rights to make um, Superman for the Quest for Peace, Can which I is ask, on its. What what yeah. is Cyber Cyborg by Jean Claude Van Damme? That sounds like Universal Soldier. Was is that what it was called <laughs> over here? Or um... no? That's three years beforehand. Okay. Um, it, honestly, I haven't seen it in thirty years, so I. I thought Cyborg was an aborted Masters of the Universe sequel. It was as well. It was two of those two things oh, folded into it. It was it the was... sets and production. Like, <laughs> the, they had all this stuff that they kind of invested money in and just kind of decided to go say, for it. Andrew, had... Watch Cyborg or don't, but the story behind its making is far more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> it has many parents um, <laughs> like who didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, Sp- um, Spider-Man and He-Man. Um, yeah. But like, so so basically, um, a few good men. <laughs> a few, a few good men. But Canon basically kind of had the rights to Captain America. And what happened is in the late eighties, obviously following 
like the release of, and again, this will be its own podcast at some point in the future, the Canon cast, uh, but things like uh, exploring the cinematic Canon. But uh, the quest for peace. There's already a podcast called The Canon, which is disappointingly not about Canon films. Canon films, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) But um, the Canon, Canon. But they they do. So basically, yes, the quest for peace, which was a movie that Canon agreed to make, took a bunch of money to make and then siphoned off a large part of the money they'd been given for the budget of the film to their other projects, leaving it looking remarkably cheap. Um, And obviously it was released, it was released, it bombed. Um, Canon themselves ended up in dire financial stakes. Um, They were bought, I think, by Giancarlo Perret, um, who also, Pathé, who controlled Pathé, and who would try to buy MGM in March, like, 1990. Uh, Pathé apparently very quickly realized how screwed they were, and by July 1990, were trying to offload their 60% stake in Canon. But what happened was the two Israeli-born cousins uh, who had founded Canon, which is Manahem Golan and Yora Globus, um, they had a big falling out um, towards the end over that kind of, like, being absorbed by Pathé. Uh, it drove a wedge between the two. So Globus stayed with Canon and Golan resigned from Canon to launch his own imprint. And I need to say this very carefully. This is the new Christopher 20... Nolan movie, is it? <laughs> Just explaining all of the, this and how it works. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that, that's what it will be. Uh, we'll go backwards and forwards. But he, Golan resigned to found his own imprint, 21st Century Film Corporation. Um, and he took the rights to Captain America and the budget and, and, Yun, and Pion with him. And that's basically how this movie came about. It is basically kind of like the bastard son of of canon, which is is fascinating. It feels like a grift as well. <laughs> like it, it, it's the twenty first century film corporation. Like if you're not paying attention, it's like yeah, that's a that's a big studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it. When I was googling them, I kept accidentally stumbling on Disney's new um, acquisition, Twentieth Century Films, um, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic. A joke that kind of paid off. All right, then. So before we jump into talking about the movie in more depth, um, three questions to get us started. So Scott, do you think that the 1990 version of Captain America is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? Oh, by default, no. I mean. Again, are we talking, you know, random straight to video four dollar horror movies that, you know, lined up the shelves of Blockbuster in the mid two thousands? That the only reason I've ever heard of them is because I had to QC them with a job back in the day. No, by that by that standard, this would be a, a treat. Uh, what are like? I love that, like, one of our recurring tropes when we have guests on talking about the bottom 100, because these are people who are enthusiastic about these movies. They're like, no, the people who voted for these movies have not seen bad movies. Um, and I, I agree, by the way, as somebody who you was also seeing bad movies. You don't know what Trek is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what Trek Forever After is. Um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, again, it's bad by almost every rational you know it's not good but again you know very slight credit for having relevant political themes without making a big deal out of it you know for being unapologetically nazis are bad for you know for having you know action scenes and brightly lit set pieces and and again fundamentals that you generally would take for granted in movie making but if you get further down the rabbit hole you'll find plenty of movies that can't even do that but I do think it's interesting because I did not know this that I mean it makes sense now that you say this, but that a lot of the less regarded comic book films are lining up the bottom 250. I'd say it's probably the same reason that so many of the well-regarded ones are 
at the top of the 250, which is that, you know, geeks control the online movie world. And if you love comic book movies, you're going to take Batman and Robin a lot more personally than just an everyday moviegoer. That's it, exactly. I became an adult when I became mature enough to realize that Batman and Robin was a disappointing movie, but not a war crime. That's it, because it is very much tied up in identity and ego. And you'll notice, like, when you go to, like, the top 250, it's all driven by kind of auteurs that have these fan bases. I mean, like, Hitchcock is obviously a great filmmaker. I think Nolan's a fantastic filmmaker. Spielberg's a fantastic filmmaker. Kubrick's a fantastic filmmaker. But, like, the extent to which they dominate is, is very telling. And you look at the bottom 100, and it's also very revealing that a lot of those are, like, you know music star led vanity projects like mariah female, carey's glitter um, or female or female made yeah. female directed yeah. films stuff like that like it, it says a lot about like the psyche of like what the people voting on imdb think are the worst so to speak it's got um, arrested development like yeah, not, I, not, not to go after them too much but <laughs> yeah well <I laughs> in mean, case like, they like, love this podcast yeah. i mean it's okay that you like this well, I mean, I, I, like, I love, like, again, I, I, I freely concede that I am very much an IMDb brain for better and for worse. Like, I do love my Spielberg uh, as much as Andrew, you know, might, might kind of cast a side eye at me for that. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that Captain America is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? Uh, I don't. No, no, no. And, and I agree with Scott. Like, it's, it's, it's bad, but it's also like got uh, loads of, um, stuff in it and lots to recommend about it like there 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 are some very bad uh bits of filmmaking as well like just um it's 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 bonkers but i think that's to its credit but like there's bad lighting and there's 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 a lot of kind of like tell not show and um it's it kind of in some ways it's it really kind of underestimates its audience in like incredible ways um but uh, but it's uh, no, it's it doesn't it doesn't deserve to be on the bottom one hundred uh, movies of all time. It's a good thing that it is but, because you uh, enjoy. We're going to enjoy talking exactly, about it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it and it is a joy. Like they, 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 because not a, not every movie on the bottom one hundred is fun. No, no, <laughs> um, no, it is not. Some some of them are very unpleasant and uncomfortable to talk about. Um, yes, there's a new Polish conspiracy thriller movie on the bottom 100 that we may have to talk about at some point. I'm looking forward to the movie about the Ryanair flight that was um, that that's probably not in the news at the moment, but that was um, uh, pulled down over Belarus, and we'll probably have to watch the Russian uh, movie about it, um, where they explain uh, how um, really they were saving Ryanair. Exactly, it was necessary. Um. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 threat is real. Um. According to this putative movie that we that has not yet been made and that we have not yet seen. And in the American uh, version, Peter Berg <laughs> direct. Mark Wahlberg will star as the guy that's gonna sneak in to rescue the guy. We'll make fun of it, but it'll actually be a pretty good movie. <laughs> things would have gone a bit differently if I if I'd been on that plane. Things would have gone. Water Horizon is good. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then for for myself, absolutely not one of the worst 100 movies ever made. I, I do think that there are points at which it ceases to be a functional movie, but I think it does a lot of the fundamentals reasonably well. I think it, like, 
I kind of, as silly as it is, I kind of like the costume with the exception of like the weird rubber ears. So when he has like the, the kind of hood down, I think it's a great superhero costume because it's actually bright and colorful and looks like it's something that kind of like pops off the screen, even when you're watching it on grainy VHS. Um, I do think obviously it is not a good film, but I don't think it's, it's one of the worst 100 movies ever made. And then second question, and I suspect we already know the answer to this, is this one of the worst 100 films you have ever seen, Scott? Prior to my life as a DVD QC person, and this was 15, this is my first move out to LA, uh, I might have said yes just by default, but no, no, I know, oh God, the things I've seen. <laughs> you wouldn't believe like tears and then uh, lost, like tears. Is this like when Danny Trejo is asked by uh, film students to be in their movie and he's like, yeah, okay. And, <laughs> and then because Danny Trejo is in it, it gets a release. Um, but it's really bad. <laughs> okay, you want to know my pick for the worst movie ever made? It's a straight-to-video called Pirates, I believe it's called Pirates of Ghost Island. It's about five kids on a, an island, and there are ghost pirates, and it's a, you know, now, and they were done to, you know, body count flick, and it might be the worst movie I've ever seen. Okay, I have this down for it's a 2007 direct-to-video release. Yeah, um, sounds about right. I can find nothing. I can find nothing on it apart from the fact that you it tried exists. Tried to scrub the internet. That is a mitzvah. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. And there's this one guy now, but his name's I think Yuli Lamel, and he made a bunch of direct-to-video horror movies slash you know. The Curse of the Zodiac or whatever. He he makes uh oh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh who's the video game guy that everybody hates? Uwe Boll. Oh, Uwe Boll. Yes. He makes uh Uwe Boll look like Steven Spielberg. <laughs> uh, or did. You know, all due respect, he's dead. Um Uwe so- Boll makes Uwe Boll look like Steven Spielberg. I'm sorry? No, I was saying Uwe Uwe Boll makes Uwe Boll look like Steven Spielberg. <laughs> be, be- because U- Uwe Boll, didn't, we were talking about him earlier this year, slash later this year. Um, no, it was earlier this year. Okay. <laughs> um, and he was saying, like, I come on in leaps and bounds every single movie I make. He improves 10 times, ten times. with each movie that he makes, is his logic. <laughs> so um, each movie, each, each previous movie is 10 times worse. Um, <laughs> it's the way of putting it. Just to, to put this in context, in terms of Pirates of Ghost Island, it, I, I dug it up on IMDb. It has a rating of 1.5 out of 10, noting that one is the lowest possible score that you can give a movie. Um, so it effectively has a 0.5 score. Uh, only 244 people have seen it, according to IMDb. Uh, it is an hour and 20 minutes long. I am not one of those voters. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was released on video in 2007 on the 11th of September. Yeah. It had the it had the glitter um, uh, effect. Effect, yeah, that the, yeah, the poor yeah, timing it, of its um, release. All right, all right, all right. And Andrew, would uh, Captain America nineteen ninety be one of the worst one hundred movies you've ever seen? Well, it did. Uh, if if I can take it with me to Bad Movie Island, then <laughs> and yes, I would, I would say it is on my bottom one hundred. Um, so this would be a bad movie you enjoy watching. This would be like a bad Andrew's, movie Andrew's I enjoy gamed, watching. Game the system. Yeah. So his worst 100 movie list is just bad movies he enjoys, as opposed to actually bad movies. 
Um, yeah, uh, but but no, like I, 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 how many movies have we seen so far for this podcast? And and you know what? Sometimes when I don't have to watch a movie for the podcast, I will watch a movie, and sometimes they're bad and worse than this. Um, kind of it, it, a, a lot of time is spent on Netflix trying to figure out what to watch yes. and making bad choices. Um, and if this was on Netflix, I might actually. I watch accept it. your apology for making us watch 365 days, Andrew. I <laughs> think part of it is, you know, if you like superhero fiction and superhero tropes, you're going to get at least something more out of this versus somebody that does not. Offhand, yeah. and, you know, not to dig into a 10-year-old discourse here, I do think one of the reasons that Green Lantern was so ripped to pieces by critics upon release 10 years ago, basically, is it does have some problems, but it also, it is such a just a superhero movie, yeah. as opposed to, you know, that, that same year, the first Captain America, which is a World War II picture, uh, Cowboys yeah. and Aliens, which wasn't very good, but at least it was a Western, X-Men First Class, which was a 19... 19- with 60s period piece. There's something to grasp onto for critics that don't care about superhero movies back when that was easier to do. Um, so, yes, I do think part of the reason that film got torn to shreds because there was nothing else there for people that weren't already interested in superhero mythology. I want to ask, actually, just uh, this is probably a conversation for later, but let's have it now. Um, the Captain America, the 1990 version that we just watched. It's interesting to look at that as a superhero kind of movie because I do think it it play it has all the tropes. It has the origin story. It hits a lot of the requisite beats. It has the man out of time stuff. The whether it does those things well is a debate we'll get into on the other side of the spoiler zone. But I, I kind of wonder watching it. Is it also like because superhero movies aren't really a thing yet? Is it also trying to be like a conspiracy thriller as well and like a weird organized crime film as well? Because we haven't figured out that it can be a superhero film and that's it. Is it- I think the last two acts try to play as a very, very low budget James Bond ripoff. Yeah. Globetrotting adventure and, and you know, a tag along girl coming along for the ride and being a kind of sort of love interest. Um Yes. So yes, you know, it's, 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 I, I do think it is at least attempting to blend genres, not for a, the good reason that comic movies now blend genres because, Hey, let's try to be something more than a comic book movie. Let's make an excellent spy film. That's also a superhero flick. But with this is like, Oh, it's a comic book movie. We need to be more than that. Yeah. 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 Like, well, I suppose like movies, Movies from other genres also did like like we've talked we've talked about a lot of kind of uh, samurai movies and the the the, the kind of cross pollination between them and 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 an American cinema, um, I guess like, like like but we think of that as a genre, you know we 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 don't say kind of like a Japanese western, um. Um, as, we say as, samurai film. We say samurai yeah, film, exactly. not Japanese they, western. They, yeah. But the the it, it's it's funny how the well, I suppose it makes it richer. If 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 it, and it's easier to write as well. I think <laughs> I recently started writing things, and I feel like. Um, I didn't realize for a while I can just steal things. <laughs> um, apply a new coat of paint over them, and it works. Exactly, make them make them different <laughs> different enough. But like, if 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 I'm trying to figure out, like, I need something exciting to happen. It's like I've seen Sicario, <laughs> just put something kind of like a little bit like that, but not quite, um, which fits into the story. 
So yeah, I, I, I guess it makes sense. All right, and then final question then before we jump into the spoilers and we start talking about the movie and we start diving into the meat of it. But finally, just very quickly before we do that, Scott, would you recommend, if listeners have not seen Captain America, the 1999 version, would you recommend that they seek it out? Only if you're someone that, A, likes superhero genre, films as a genre and curious. You know, it is a time capsule. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you're not someone that cares about superhero films or don't care what some of the lousier ones looked like in that post-Batman era, then no, there's, it's not necessary for your cinematic education. Um, it is, again, again, sorry, not not to harp too much about putting it in context. It's notable, like, due to, like, the delays in its production and the fact that it took so long to get made, like, it, it arguably belongs, it was released on VHS, it arguably belongs that wave of kind of superhero films, like like the Superman sequels where the budget went progressively lower and the box office fell. Again, like they used to make sequels, like the Planet of the Apes sequels, where you would just, yeah. you keep chopping the budget and you keep hoping that, like, the fall in box office won't be disproportionate until it eventually is. But it reminds me a I lot imagine- of things... They're hoping that that like it will end soon so that they can make more better movies. You know, it's like, ah, oh, we've got that Planet of the Apes meeting. Yeah. Um, why are we still making these? Yeah. Um, but but even and I might be incorrect here. It's been a while, but I think with Star Trek, the first one cost a fortune. The second one was pretty cheap because they reused all the sets. And then from yeah. like the third to the sixth, they were all pretty consistent in terms of cost. I think they got they, the problem is they started getting more expensive uh, like incrementally as they went along because the cast well, the started wages, demanding more money it? that yeah, yeah, it yeah. was wages it wasn't production value yeah, that's yeah. that's why they did the next generation one of the reasons they did the next generation was because they figured they could get these actors cheaper than Shatner and Nimoy that was the kind of plan yeah, the long term game cheap. He, he, he yeah, it, it, that it, guy from Dune with the pug. Can we yeah, get the pug yeah. too? No, the budget doesn't. He used the to pug. be too expensive, <laughs> but now he's lost all his hair, so <laughs> get him on the cheap. Um, but yeah, and and like, but it is is notable that like it feels like Captain America kind of came from that school of remember the Incredible Hulk television movies, like the Trial of the Incredible Hulk and stuff like that, or like even the like nineteen seventies nine TV movies, Captain they were America. Great, by the way, yeah. can I say? And, and and I mean, maybe they weren't, but I remember them being great. Remember them being genuinely poignant and crying when that thing happened. (laughs) We're we're going to get to the spoiler zone where we spoil everything. Everything. For anybody who hasn't seen 80s kind of television movies. Yeah. (laughs) But like, and then the misfortune of Captain America arriving like a year after Batman, Tim Burton's Batman had kind of like breathed life and shown that you could make a big budget superhero movie that could conquer the world. Uh, And then a year before Joe Johnson's The Rocketeer, which while not like, you know, a huge box office hit at the time, you know, was immediately kind of revered by fans as being something like glorious and celebratory and how you do a World War II kind of genre piece. And like the idea of like just Captain America landing between those two stools. Again, as Andrew said, a movie out of time for a man out of time. But Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch Captain America 1990? Absolutely. I mean, I'm wondering, like, was the movie made before the Berlin Wall collapsed? And <laughs> like, was it before the, 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 the fall of the USSR? Because they do, they actually really... have a line in there. It's like, we'll blame they the do. Russians. They do. Yeah. They do. They, um, they, well, they don't say Russians either. They, yeah, <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry. Um but yeah, no, it, I I would recommend people watch it. I think it's um, 
it's it's bizarre and i think we've said it like a few times but it's so true it's such a kind of incredible um time capsule um um so no i i I'd, I'd rec- and it's fun like that um for like i i i don't recommend that anybody else does this um <laughs> but i had a bit of a cold yesterday evening um so i decided i i'll i'll i'll, I'll drink all the vodka um and it, it it was it was a good um it, it was a good way to get rid of a cold um and again i'm not recommending it um but um it was also a good way to watch the movie um so um i mean for 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 any kids listening stay away from 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 drink or any substances but for anybody who just happens to be like having um yeah maybe also watch this movie it's a good accompaniment um <laughs> We're doing wine pairings now. Yes. On the, um, I, I find that Captain America works well with a good red. Um, yeah. A red and a white. and What's a blue? A blue steak, I suppose, is probably what you could have with it. Well, um, it, 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 it could, it, Curacao. Um, Darren doesn't drink. No, I don't drink. <laughs> this is why he gets so much work done. <laughs> why I get so little. <laughs> anyway, some Bombay sorry. blue sapphire, some red wine, some white wine, and some Bombay blue sapphire, or something like that. Excellent, um, Darren. For, th- That's yeah, some good googling. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but and, and for myself, uh, I kind of very much agree with kind of Scott on this in that I think that if you are at all interested in superhero movies, if you're all interested in the history of superhero movies, and if you particularly want to get a sense of like what superhero movies look like before they conquered the world, um, this is probably as good a snapshot as any. It's a last gasp, I think, of a way that we used to treat superhero movies. Uh, because I think even when you get into the 90s, things like Steel and Catwoman, well, Catwoman's 2004, but they're a different breed, even if they're not quite like X-Men or Spider-Man. This is, this feels to me like the kind of stuff as, like Scott mentioned watching the Flash TV show, that that sort of feeling, kind of like I remember like as a kid watching on television, things like this. So I think that, yeah, as a as a historical artifact, it's it's worth seeking out. I think it's it's fun. I think it's silly. I think it has things that it does well. I think the ways that it's bad are interesting more often than they're boring, which is probably what you're looking for in a in a in a bad movie. With that in mind, then we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Scott, what is Captain America 1990 about for you? Me? Um, uh, probably contract obligations and trying to squeeze out of debt or whatever. You know, you mentioned this in briefly, but there's always something going on in canon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it, for me, it is a relic of a time where the very idea of a even a big looking movie, because obviously the film's not very expensive, based on a kid-friendly property was an event unto itself, unique unto itself. And to the extent that I get nostalgic, I do sort of get nostalgic sometimes for films like the first Ninja Turtles movie, which aside from being very good and inexplicably holding up terrifically 30 years later, was an event just because it was a Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, I'll give you another example of one that you know is fine, but the first Mortal Kombat, which I didn't even see in theater just because I was too good for it or whatever. I was 15. But when I did that, I was like, this is fun. And, you know, looking back on it, 
it's that one specifically a relic of a time when movies like that were expected to be cheeseball B movies that weren't expected to be these A plus franchise starters. Movies. That where yeah, it's like blood spores. For me, the def- definition of how Hollywood used to work was spring of 1990. Stereotypically speaking, men went to Hunt for Red October, women went to Pretty Woman, kids went to Ninja Turtles. Now, obviously, there was some overlap, and all three of those films are varying degrees of good. 30 years later, everyone just goes to Ninja Turtles, and there's no marketplace for Hunt for Red October and Pretty Woman anymore. And that's not a good thing. Having said that, you know, when getting back to your question, I got off the script of it. Apologies. Um, yeah, Captain America is a relic of a time when the very idea of a even remotely polished looking superhero movie was neat. And again, I, I knew enough to know that it was not good, especially because again, it came. You know, I watched it. You know, in tandem with the Flash, which that two part pilot is a very good superhero origin story. You want to call it a movie, call it a two-part pilot, whatever. And, you know, Ninja Turtles, which is is excellent. Dick Tracy was very good. Uh, so it's not like we were lacking for good ones, but they were still rare enough and interesting enough, and it was still unique enough to see the cartoon character in live action that actually looked like the live action, the comic book version. You had a comics accurate Red Skull doing battle with a comics accurate Captain America in World War II with the fisticuffs. Um, And that was still somewhat unique. I mean, that's kind of interesting because this is the first time I had watched this movie since I was a child. I can't remember the first time that I saw this movie, which suggests that I saw it when I was very, very young as part of like a rotation at like in VHS recorded off television. And it's amazing how much of the imagery stayed with me, if not the plot. I did not, for example, remember that Captain America's superpower is getting car sick or faking getting car sick in order to hijack cars. That didn't stay with me. But the image of like the, again, like, and again, this is going to sound horribly pretentious, but like the Orson Welles-esque giant blank wall with the swastika and the rocket on it while he's like Captain America decked out in like the red, white and blue is fighting the red skull with his kind of face on in an overcoat in a Nazi trench coat. That stuff stayed with me. That imagery kind of stayed with me, uh, which is kind of str- it's, which is amazing. After all the movies I've seen, which I will freely concede are better than this one, that like I remember that image: the the red Nazi flag, the rocket, and the punching. Um, sorry, Andrew. No, it, 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 just to kind of add to what you're saying, it, it's it's good. It's it, it's interesting because watching this movie, at some point, I was like, I've. I've seen this before, <laughs> but they, and, and it made me wonder: like, is this also in Captain America: The First Avenger, or like the Winter Soldier, or something? Because that moment that he goes into the bathroom and they all run out, and yeah. then he smashes the wall open, I was like, I've seen this. I've seen this movie, and 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 it reminded me that um, when I was young. Like I wouldn't really be let see movies because I was young, and and I would I would kind of be going from one room into into another room, and there would be a a, a movie on, and I'd try to watch it. And they'd say, "Get out of here! You can't watch this." This is I remember that I had that experience with Spider Man, the the um I guess the canon kind of um uh, well, that uh, the canon version never existed. The the Japanese version maybe or the. I'm confused. I'm very confused <laughs> because because I am certain I saw a Spider-Man movie 
No, I, I think he's referring to like the TV movie version from twenty seven. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. And, and be, be, because I've looked for it since and I couldn't find it, and I was like, is 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 is, is this like the Mandela effect or something? That, <laughs> the um, Berenstein Bears. Berenstein Bears. Yeah, they they, they um, but the the other one was um, Batman Returns, which was a few years later, and still I wasn't allowed to watch it, probably rightly. Well, Batman <laughs> um, Returns is um, is very intense for a child. It's very intense, but I my cousin was over and was watching it, and I wasn't allowed to watch it, and I was like, why? I bet it's awesome. Everything everything that you can't do when you're a child seems better because you can't do it. Like, I remember thinking that all brand must have been made of chocolate or something because I wasn't allowed to eat it. Um, anyway. But but yeah, no, and, and actually it's funny you should mention the first Avenger because like watching it, I was like, hey, there's a surprise. And again, I know that it, because it's the Captain America origin story, certain aspects of it are going to carry over. But it was like weird how specific things carried over, like things like the Red Skull catching the shield to show how badass he is, which is something which was like the end point of the Winter Soldier trailer, if I remember correctly. It was like, yes. oh, my God, this guy called Cap Shield. How incredibly badass is he? Um, and various kind of other things along those lines where it's like, yeah, this is, I can see like I don't imagine Joe Johnson and kind of like Kevin Feige were going, yeah, go back to the 1990 Captain America and take notes. But it's kind of interesting how much of that kind of like enters the popular consciousness, because like, as you point out, Andrew can't remember seeing this, but somehow he did. And it's like it's been absorbed through cultural osmosis. It's like, yep, this is kind of. Because, as Scott pointed out, this is like superhero movies were relatively rare, at least for mainstream big characters like this. They end up informing and shaping. They have a disproportionate value relative to the comics, which very few people read anymore. So it's like, yeah, Captain America owes a lot to the 1990 version, despite how much everybody hates it, which is interesting. The people who read those comic books, though, the very few people who do read all of them <laughs> um, and have entire rooms of their house. That are that are taken up uh, by by comic books and other uh, rooms in their house that y- they use comic books to prop up their equipment on. And, uh, I don't so, know yeah. who you could possibly be talking about, Andrew. <laughs> um, but no, I, like I, I do kind of I find that interesting. Like looking at it, like and seeing echoes of of the first Avenger and seeing like where you wouldn't expect to see them. But what like do you do you see that, Scott? Or am I being like a little bit unfair? Am I being like no? I mean, it's no. it's the same. You know, it's. For the record, the first Avengers is my favorite MCU movie. Period. Um, having said that, yes, there are similarities. It is the same story, or at least it, you know it. it the, you know, the, the, the all of first Avengers is the first act of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I watch first Avengers, I, mean, I, I think Stanley Tucci is one of the the reasons why the entire universe works because he sells the idea that Steve Rogers is a hero because he's a good person. And because he doesn't want to, you know, run around and kill the bad guys. Um, having said that, when I first watched the movie, I thought, well, that's funny. The cheap one in 1990 gender swapped that character, but this <laughs> more progressive modern version did not. Whatever. Um, and again, you know, as, a, as an 11 year old kid, it stuck out how violent the picture was. Not only does it open with a machine gun massacre in a little bar, you know, basically, Icky Carter, quote unquote, gets murdered horribly on screen. Uh, yeah. The film is very cruel to its supporting cast in a way that I think you only really got away with because they were Nazis. 
it would make sense that they would just wipe out everyone in their path, like you know any number of you know conspiracy thrillers where you know leave no witnesses. The you know the truth must be kept hidden. Yada yada yada. You know Ned Beatty gets shot in the back. You know again the Beggy character is basically burned to death with a stun gun. I think there's sort of oblique about what he actually she actually does to her, but um, it's a it's a within the limits of its its kid friendly nature. It's a it, it's a mean movie. It's very mean. And it's also like these people have done all of the worst things in history as well. Yeah. It's not only are they Nazis. Yeah. But they, 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 um, they you know, kill they, JFK. They, they killed Bobby Kennedy. Uh, they killed well, Martin no, Luther King. Uh, Oswald uh, killed. Yeah, uh, yeah but they found JFK him. They spent three and Sirhan, years. Sirhan. They just had to find and train him. Um, when you're watching the, the big monologue, uh, in the Winter Soldier, where Toby uh, 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 Jones, yes, yeah. is talking about all the Hydra stuff. It's like you're just waiting him for for him to say that Hydra <laughs> did nine eleven. Like, yeah. they go there? Go there? No, nope, they didn't go there. They wanted to go there too soon. No, they wanted, <laughs> to go there, but they didn't go there. Yeah, I, I sense we probably have to wait about thirty or forty years before we start getting the first of those. Wasn't that one of the big rumors about Tenet? Like one of the crazy <sighs> internet rumors about Tenet was that it was going to be about nine eleven. Oh yeah, um, which <laughs> yep. God bless. I got people messaging me asking, "Do you have any inside information about this?" I was like, "No," but I can tell yeah. you, no. Like I don't know what yeah. Tenet is, but oh, I can yeah. safely bet no. <laughs> Remember when they thought that Don Draper's wife was going to be murdered by Charles Manson? That was fun. <laughs> oh wow really yeah the, uh, like, that, uh, like uh, they were like uh, once upon a time in Hollywood yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. much worse the opposite <laughs> of that <laughs> um, I didn't watch the final season of Mad Men so for all I know that happened <laughs> yeah um, and again they, they make this garbage up out of a whole cloth and it becomes conventional wisdom because it's profitable to write about it yeah, that's it. And you generate the clicks and stuff. Anyway. Um, but I mean, but it is, though, it is kind of like just to bring it back to the violence, because this is I I was taken aback watching it. It opens with and I love that, like, it's it's a very strange thing that he's Italian rather than German. And I do wonder, like, you wonder, like, why those choices were made in the writing, not because it's important or not because it matters, but just because you wonder, like, why not just keep it? Why would why would you why would you change it? What's the active point of it? And I maybe have a theory later on about that, but we can come back to it if you want. To it's unusual it. as well, because like it, it, it probably I don't know about kind of um, a, um, it, Italians and what kind of music they get children to play, but I'd imagine they'd have them play some Verdi. Um, whereas I can imagine a, a, a German child being being made to play Chopin. Like like it, it's not quite um, you know uh, German, but it's kind of in that tradition of 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 of, of German music. And, and it's a beautiful piece of music, by the way. People who like movies will. Um, it's the it's the raindrop uh, prelude. Um, that people will recognize from Margin Call if they've seen that. Um, where um, I think it's uh, the what's the name of that actor again? Kevin Jeremy Irons. What? Um, he w- w- wakes up. Um, I forget. There was a guy. He was in Usual Suspect. Oh, um, okay. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry, the guy from Outbreak. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, you know. Him. Never. Thank goodness he just kind of retired quietly, and and nothing ever. Yeah. There's nothing that would. Right, right. Anyway, <laughs> that was the same after K-Pax. Yeah, that was no. that was that was the end. That was um, it. That, that's what finished them. Um, um, yeah. But 
like and again like you have the moment where he's dragged away and you get the trampling of the music in like one of the few artful shots in the movie um which again it 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 kind of like you mentioned that kind of like it it feels very germany because it's like adolf hitler as painter before he ended up becoming like adolf hitler like you know leader of the nazi party um so it does kind of well, yeah, when you see the Mussolini tramp- was always bad like yeah. he he stabbed a child in the ass when he was in school um i think cuz that's what it, it's a it's a common thing in 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 Spain to stab people in the ass because it's, it's like non I just think it's interesting that this film creates a more sympathetic Red Skull than the MCU did. And I think right. believing is, is perfectly good as Red Skull. And it's a very, but it's, you know, for better or worse, it's a very simple villain. He's a Nazi asshole who wants to, or whatever, a Hydra asshole who thinks he's superior to everyone else. Not because of race, because we can't go there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he wants to just destroy the world. Uh, and this one, you know, again, he's got a traumatic backstory. He has, he's clearly haunted by, you know, the means in which he was turned into a weapon for the Nazis. It doesn't make him any less of a douche, but it does allow the movie to actually have somewhat of an emotional climax. I was going to say it works. It works perfectly well, and yet it does. And you, you actually do feel for Red Skull. At least I did. I, I, I found it genuinely touching. But he managed to do that without undercutting his villainy. Yes. Be, 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 because it, it's, it's this kind of. Um, he, he says it. He says we are both tragedies. Yes. Um, and now I send our tortured souls to rest. Where it's this kind of, um, like. Uh, destructive kind of like the world is going to end like let's um, uh, destroy us yeah you know kind, kind of um, but as an expression of my nihilism. own emotional state like that's the thing, yeah like, and not, but, but but also as a kind of an expression of 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 the the villains of our world and of history and um which which which, which um and and then captain america being the kind of counterpoint to it of um of kind of naive hopefulness and um Nobody cares. I care. That moment. Yeah, yeah. Which is arguably like the movie's one true big character beat for Captain America, but we'll come back to. But like, that's the moment where it's like, yeah, okay, maybe you get this. Maybe, maybe you get this kind of moment, you know? Um, But it's interesting. (laughs) It it is kind of interesting that like, and it will come back to Captain America himself, Steve Rogers in a moment. But like, watching the movie, I was taken by the fact that like the Red Skull is arguably like the character in which the movie is most invested because it opens with him. He has like this big arc and like the thing with the piano music comes back repeatedly. So you have the little tape recorder at the start in order to figure out where he is. Captain America has to go and he has to visit Italy. He can't speak a word of Italian and listen to the tape recording and take that trauma back. At the end, he distracts him by replaying that tape. But also the bomb is in the piano because like that's the big character thing for him. And like, I'm not going to pretend it's like complex or hyper nuanced or anything like that. But it's it's a lot of character work for a movie like this and arguably more than Steve himself gets, I think, perhaps. I think there's some intelligence to it. It did it did it did look at that point like a little bit like 365 days. More intelligent than that movie. Um uh, but um, no, I did. It, 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 I I I I really give this movie a lot of credit for um, for wanting to kind of unpack like these ideas of of um, what America is kind of meant to be about. Yeah. 
um, kind of, you know, right, right or wrong, without any kind of cynicism about it. Or sorry, there, there is low, there is a lot of um, uh, cynicism, I, I guess. Or there, there is a kind of a, like a challenge, um, because like the, 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 the Red Skull is given some great lines, and um, you know, like it's like, oh, you can't even uh, teach me English. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like. Um, did, can I, can I, can I say that the actor who plays Red Skull has a fantastic um, uh, Scott Poland, yeah, voice in this. Like, I don't think it, it, it's probably not very. Um, like there'll be a lot of Italians who are upset <laughs> with, with the with with the his attempt at at their accent, but it's great, isn't it? No, I mean it's it's. You know, the closest comparison would be something like La Julia in Street Fighter, where you have an yeah. actor giving a real performance in an otherwise, as the villain in an otherwise cartoon movie. Or, you know, Frank Langella in Masters of the Universe. Yes. The, uh, and who absolutely the, loved us, yeah. You know, I think even back then, before Die Hard, before Batman, there was still an understanding that, you know, if you make the villain interesting, you can make up for a lot of deficiencies elsewhere. And I think it's kind of interesting. And again, not not to, like, as you pointed out, like, we did the joke intro. Well, I think it's better than most of the MCU movies. It is not better than most of the MCU Or it's not better than any of the MCU movies, to be fair. But I do, I do think that, like, it's interesting that we've gotten, we swung so far back from that. That it's like, that you point out that, like, Hugo Weaving's Red Skull, like, I think Hugo Weaving's performance is good. I think he's a great villain in absolutely everything that he does, pretty much. But I think that it's, like, it's odd watching that movie and seeing that it is arguably just a variation of an archetypal character that they do again and again and again, like Meliketh in Thor The Dark World or Kaecilius uh, in Doctor Strange or arguably even Thanos himself in Infinity War and Endgame, where it's just, it's this nihilism that drives the character, this idea of I'm going to kill all these people because that is my motivation rather than I'm going to kill all these people because I have a backstory or a history or an explanation. And I mean, you know, obviously, like Killmonger yeah, and Loki like are great. It's like self-evident, yeah, or something. It's gotten to a point where people will just buy that. Like, yeah, destroy the world. <laughs> no, 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 I just, I think to a certain extent, in that film, he's a punching bag. And I think as much as people like to complain in the early days about how the villains in the MCU movies weren't up to snuff. I do think it was a very intentional attempt on Feige and Friends' part to get away from the archetype of the Batman pictures yeah. where the villains stole the show. And in, especially in retrospect, that was an incredibly wise mm. decision because if your hero is the most interesting part of your movie, along with the heroic supporting cast, people are going to come back for the sequel. Yeah. You get to carry them forward. Most interesting thing, but you drop them off a building at the end. Then you got to start from scratch again. No, that that's that's fair, I think. But I, I do got I do find I was found it really interesting watching Captain America to see a movie doing what you pointed out, the thing that like and arguably like even Batman the previous year had done with Jack Nicholson, who got top billing, who got like the I think yeah. at that point the highest wage of any actor ever because he took points off the back end and stuff like that. Um and who completely dominated nice. I, I love Michael Keaton in both of those Batman movies, but I do think that Nicholson dominates like the Batman eighty nine. Um, and I, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's perfect casting as well, because uh, like, like you know, ha having. Well, sorry, I mean, you could you could put it other people, but they, he's um, take that Robin a, Williams a character who who can no, but they, I, yeah, one hundred percent. What? No, they, 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 um, I I know that Robin Williams can do um, good stuff, 
but they did like Jack Nicholson is great at doing that thing where he's just like like being big. You know, it's like the thing that that um was it it's Steven Spielberg and um the sorry the director of The Shining it's Stanley it's gone Kubrick out of my head for some reason Stanley Kubrick and him showing oh, Spielberg yeah, yeah. and and uh, Kubrick saying he's only a bad actor if you think that like James Cagney is a bad actor. So, but anyway, sorry. Uh, no, and it helps that Nicholson gives a real performance in that film. You know, in the quiet really? moments, he very much reminded me of Eugene Neal in Reds. Uh, yeah, yeah, there, there's real pathos in it. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I think to a certain extent, it is to Keaton's credit that he doesn't try to steal the show from DeVito and Walken and Pfeiffer and Nicholson. Um, and it certainly didn't hurt his career. I mean, it's, it's um, especially in retrospect. Um, but yeah, there, there certainly was, in the early comic book films, there was a and maybe this was modeled off the James Bond films where you made the villain, the larger than life, the most interesting, the most shaded antagonist. And then you hope that the whole, your villain, your hero is only as strong as your villain thing carried you to the finish line. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. But even like the Rocketeer, obviously Timothy Dalton's character is far more interesting. And I, and intentionally so than Billy Campbell's aw shucks genius hero. Uh, Al Pacino got an Oscar nomination for Dick Tracy. Observed, I would argue. Um, so that there was, you know, seeing Red Skull steal the movie back then was just business as usual. And actually, like, and again, like, this is a nice way of getting round to talking eventually about Captain America when we talk about Captain America the movie. The character of President Thomas Tom Kimball, played by Ronnie Cox, a veteran of the 250, favorite actor, one of the favorite actors of this podcast. Um, and I do love, by the way, that Cox has in Almost every interview he has done where he's been asked about the movie, he's given quotes that amount to, and this is a quote from a Retro Junk interview, Captain America remains to this day the finest script I have ever read. How those guys messed that film up, I will never know. You know, it took that film almost a year to even go straight to video. That film could have been iconic. And then, like, in the AV Club a couple of years later, he also doubled down on it. We all know it wasn't a very good film, but I will tell you this. Captain America remains to this day maybe the finest script I have ever read. Stephen Tolkien wrote the script and it was brilliant. And I mean... He's read Robocop. <laughs> he has read Robocop, Andrew. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, but like, I mean, the thing with Robocop was that like Paul Verhoeven read that and he's like, yes, I can do this. This is the Christ story. It's a genius. Um, or his wife apparently told him, yes, you should read this. It's genius. And I, th- I think for, for Ronnie Cox as well, it was probably good to do Robocop just because he was playing a villain. People were used to him being like this, um, you know. It it was it was it was a good piece of casting, I guess, uh, both for the movie and for him because it allowed him to do something a little bit different to what he was kind of known for, and it allowed the movie to kind of establish that you know, it, um, to it, it's more interesting when you don't expect a villain to be a villain. Like having Hugo Weaving, he will do <laughs> the job. <laughs> but, um, well, but, um, I mean, like, yeah. this is kind of interesting because by the time, like, Captain America comes around, Ronnie Cox has arguably established himself as, like, a villain actor now. Like, he's Cohagen uh, in, I think, Total Recall, either this year or the year afterwards, for example, as well. Another very much kind of, like, Dick Jones-type villain. So it's odd to see him portrayed as this, like, icon of America. And, again, it, like... That one. What did Verhoeven have against Ronnie Cox? It's like I see you as a villain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, I, I kind of. He plays a very Dennis Quaid-like president. Yeah, 
that, that's it exactly. It like and and this is the thing with with the movie is that it's like it is a movie for kids, as absurdly violent as it is. As much as it opens with like the machine gunning of a small family in Italy, with a character who looks not at all, you know, not not only fleetingly like Benito Mussolini standing in the corner giving orders, but you have this kind of like juxtaposition of that violence and that brutality with this is also a wish fulfillment story because you imagine that like the audience identification character in this movie is at least partially meant to be the character of Tom Kimball. He's the young kid who goes to Washington and is so kind of like, oh, shucks by it all, who has like a chance encounter with Captain America on a rocket outside the White House. That's insane. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that scene. Are let's we- we'll come back to Tom <laughs> Kimball. Let's talk about that moment. Um yeah, just for a moment. Like, I love all the Tom Kimball stuff, by the way, and let's not get get too far away from it. And and him being um, Jimmy Carter, I think, as well. That's how it feels. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but um, yeah, he he's strapped to a rocket in, is it Italy or Germany? Germany, right? Germany at this point. He's dropped into Germany. They fly, they fly this rocket. And he says, I love you, Bernice! As he jumps out. <laughs> um. Oh, it's incredible. And then he, he just kicks it. Like anyway, well, okay, well, and, 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 like the, it's not meant to make sense. I guess. What, I mean, and, like and, not, not and, even and that. Like the mo- maybe you could do the that. moment. The moment where like the Red Skull has him change the rocket and delivering his monologue, and he's like, two can fly as cheaply as one." You sick bastard! Which is like not exactly what you expect from your wholesome Boy Scout Captain America, leading to a situation where the Red Skull has to chop his own hand off in order to escape yes. from his grip, which I love. It's great, it's... But, but but that's perfect. Like I agree with what Ronnie Cox says about it being um, a great script, because you need something for the Red Skull to remember him <laughs> um, <laughs> by. Like there has to be a kind of like a, a, a vendetta, and that is perfect because it, it it's 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 kind of done all you want that scene to do. It's like the Red Skull is overpowered when it's compared to Captain America, but Captain America has taken his, has, has caused him to cut his own hand off. Oh, I, I'm sure there is the framework for a very compelling superhero origin story in that film. I would love to see the two-hour cut or whatever, assuming it actually exists. Apparently um, it involves more flashbacks of scenes that you've already seen, apparently. <laughs> in true canon fashion. I feel like that towards the end of that, and at, at times during the film, and we talk about this a lot with different movies, but about them being about making movies. Um, but there, there's a point where there's like 15 minutes left in the movie, and you have the character saying, 15 minutes, we'll never get this all done in 15 minutes. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and it just feels like kind of that's, that's the, the maker of, of, of the film saying, Kind of like, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, kind of the, 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 I can't, you know, make a movie under this pressure. Uh, um, well, we should we should mention, by the way, like the pressure that this movie was made under. The budget that it was promised was never actually delivered, so it was budgeted according to money that was never made available to it. And like Matt Salinger, who, by the way, is the son of J.D. Salinger, which is really really weird trivia. Yeah. <laughs> And he looks a lot like John Wesley Shep. <laughs> he does actually. He has that same kind of tall. Yeah. I, mean, I, I knew the difference, but I sort of forget that I wasn't watching John Wesley Shep when I was watching this film. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, I don't know what they look. You know, 
Matt Salinger looks like now, but back then they looked pretty similar. Yeah, that kind of like long face, kind of like strong chin, yeah. which is what you need when you're casting a role like this, I guess. Yeah. Right. Sorry, Andrew. The, no, no, it's just the incredible thing is that, that, that like I heard the other day that J.D. Salinger is still alive. Um, is that true? Um, they, 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 because I always thought that like as soon as J.D. Salinger died, there would be a um, Catcher in the Rye movie. Um, with with like his his uh, estate, um, presumably they, including the man who made this um this movie. Well, no, uh, like uh, there's movie. a bit of back and forth within again, not to get too waylaid into talking about sorry, like the, the Salinger sorry. family. Um, J D. Salinger, because I thought Paul Dano would have been a great um, Captain America. Uh, anyway, no, <laughs> no, no, sorry, no, not not. Um, Holden Caulfield, um, but like, yeah, so he passed away, I think, in 2010, so January 2010. But they're, they're oh, per- do you know what? It was probably a Planet Money repeat that I was listening to. Um, or they spoke about. anyway, um, sorry, but there were, there were back and forth. Like, apparently, Matt Salinger is a strong protector of his father's privacy and all that sort of stuff. And he has complained, uh, there's an issue going on with his, his family with his sister Margaret, who published a memoir in 1999. Um, that has been a source of much uh division within the family, not to get a bit kind of soap opera he uh, or kind of like too, too into that stuff. But um, Salinger has talked about how when they were shooting the movie. Uh, Pion would talk to him and he would say, okay, well, that's great. We're going to film the pickups when we go to Alaska or when we get back to the States because they filmed in Yugoslavia. It's like, are you sure about that? It's like, yeah, 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 no, we, we got coverage here. Then we're going to intercut it with scenes that we shoot in Alaska. And then apparently when they came back from Yugoslavia, they shot nothing. Like that was apparently the film's production cycle was like they were the crew were constantly told, yeah, no, 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 we're going to shoot this scene in, in America when we get back. And it's like, no, we, we didn't. So we have to frantically edit this movie together from the pieces that we have, which perhaps explains kind of a lot about how it turned out. But like the character of um of kind of of President uh, Tom Kimball is kind of interesting because it's it is it's that's arguably the protagonist of the movie that's the character that's like the audience goes yeah you you saw captain america on a rocket and you were inspired by him and by your experiences in washington and became a politician and then immediately tried to make the world a better place by you know what in the early 90s was probably the least political thing ever which was hey maybe we shouldn't pollute the environment that much um remember, remember the hole in the ozone yeah there? that sort of stuff and acid rain yeah there's a um, lot of things that didn't used to be political in mainstream movies. That's fair. That's very, very fair. Yeah, there are women in this movie, too. Remember when Jigsaw murdering somebody because they were a racist yeah. was not political. Yeah. That was, that was just the kind of a scene that was in there because they couldn't afford to fit into any other Saw movie, I think, if I remember correctly. They, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, like, that, that kind of stuff is, is interesting as well. And, again, like, you talk about situating this movie in a moment, in a cultural moment. It really does feel like that... Like, although it was, like, shot at the end of the Cold War and the Soviets were still a thing, it does have that weird kind of existential what is America after the Cold War aspect because you have, like, Captain America thaws out. He- well, after World War Two, yeah. more, well, yeah. more, more... More directly. Like, 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 but he's, but yeah, he skipped be, the Cold be, War. Because Captain America uh, exists as this World War Two character and is coming back to this fresh hell <laughs> where Germany and Japan are making cars uh, and, and kind of tape recorders. Yeah, cars and stereos and things. Were yeah. there that many movies back then where the big bad was the American military industrial complex? That seemed- yeah, like Robocop and um, a- Aliens, um, um, I guess. Um, but I mean, oh, sorry. the government. 
you know, because I think Alien is a corporation, right? Yeah. And obviously in, in, in yeah, Robocop, but it, but it's, the it's what well. kind of America yeah. represents as this uh, kind of capitalist. Um, uh, that's the kind of thing that you know, you'd see it in the White House down now. And it's, it's or, you know, America's dirty laundry coming back to bite them with, you know, a lot of 90s action pictures, The Rock in a line of fire, et cetera, under siege. Um, that's, you know, a huge motivation for, you know, again, sympathetic motivation, but they're still the bad guy. Uh, although The Rock, I mean, the Rock might be the first movie I can remember where the villain was so sympathetic you were almost rooting for them to win. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, I, I do think, not to jump on your point as well, uh, but yeah, it, it also feels like sort of a post-Cold War movie in terms of, okay, who are the bad guys Yeah, now? that's exactly it. Russians. it. It's a funny line that, that Red Skull has because it, he's he's... It's 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 the general um, who, by the way, is also hilarious. General Fleming, who says, "We'll we'll 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 just we'll just say it's the Soviets, or we'll we'll, we'll just put like kind of a Soviet plot in there." And he says, "It's a little obvious, but why not?" <laughs> <laughs> and it, again, it feels like the movie kind of making some sort of uh, dramatic, ironic. Well, that's because nothing of, matters uh, anymore. Uh, is the thing like. Exa- well, it's also because they're they're making this piece. <laughs> that's fair, um, but like like that's the thing is that like you have Fleming, who's this this kind of military man. Now he did sell him out before, and he has been working with the Red Skulls all along. But it's like at the end of the Cold War, what does any of this mean? America doesn't have an enemy against which to define itself. And again, it's interesting that you have Steve. And again, Darren giving the movie far too much credit and being perhaps far, far, far too generous. No, I think it's but fair. Like, go, go for but it. But the idea of like Darren needs have good ideas. Yeah. But the idea of, like, Steve sleeping through the Cold War, like, falling asleep as a member of the Greatest Generation and waking up in 1990 and being able to, therefore, like, skip all the... Tro- There's the moment where, like, he's in the car with, like, you know, Sam and Sam's telling him all this stuff that happened and all this crazy stuff that, you know, the Red Skull was tied up in. And he's like, I don't believe any of this. And then, like, sitting on the couch and absorbing, like, the assassination of, like, JFK, the assassination of Martin Luther King, the death of Bobby Kennedy... And he's like, wow, this was all true. This all really happened. So you have this idea, which again, the the modern MCU is more like, oh, look at how much pop culture he missed. He missed Trouble Man. He missed Star Wars. He missed Star Trek. And it's like, kind of like that Captain America's like, no, he missed like the formulative years of modern American history. Uh, But the idea, and again, this gets into the weird shifting of the Red Skull from like a German to an Italian. Watching this movie reminded me and it's not a ripoff because they were released the same year. It's obviously that, as Scott suggested, kind of something in the air and in the ambience. This idea of a secret cabal of Italian power players from behind the scenes orchestrating world history on a massive global scale, intertwining this story that we all know with the secret history of it, reminded me a bit of the conspiratorial lining of, say, The Godfather Part Three where you have the idea of, like, Michael Corleone tied up in the assassination of, I think, was it Pope John Paul I? Like, the idea of Captain America doing something similar, where you have this Italian, like, basically mafiosa figure living on his own island, as Andrew pointed out, like from 365 days, living in his castle and orchestrating and pulling all the strings from there. And I kind of do wonder if, like, I know... Scott's probably right when he says it's just an excuse to do a James Bond movie because to send him somewhere where it's sunny and the streets are nice and people wear bikinis and there are bicycles. 
But I, I do wonder if there's a sense of, yeah, well, there, there aren't really Nazis anymore. There aren't really Soviets anymore. It's like, it's just got to be people sitting around a table in a dark room wearing suits, controlling and pulling kind of like the conspiracy theory stuff that was really popular in the 90s. It's got to be like a realistic version of the Legion of Doom. Yeah. We're a bunch of colorful villains sitting around the table plotting world domination. Except now it's oh, a bunch of guys in suits. Cobra. Yeah. Um, what should we call it? Um, the, um, but it, 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 it's, I guess it's kind of because they knew the goose was cooked or, or whatever the expression was with the Soviet Union, like that the, that the, that the war in Afghanistan, the other one, um, had, had, had kind of ruined them and, um, and that it, and that it was only kind of a matter of yeah, time. And- not 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 to get too like demanding realism from or like trying to make sense of the chronology of this movie it's notable that like kimball is elected to congress i think the same year chernobyl happens which is 1986 right which would suggest that it's highly unlikely he wins the presidency two years later in 1988 this has to be vaguely later than that chronology like in 1992 type scenario right but it is again it's all tied into that idea of the collapse of the soviet union anyway that, like his ascent is his ascent is tied to the Chernobyl disaster, which is one of the moments that we treat in pop culture as being, well, is the Soviet Union a spent force, perhaps? I, can we do, 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 briefly, I I'm I'm not um I'm not certain because there was a lot of us, but <laughs> the, I think I I I think um they had a Pulitzer Prize um headline in two of the. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all the same, by the way, for every article in that montage. Yeah, it's something about watering plants or something. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I, I did not look it up beforehand, but it's one of those things I read ages ago in some bloopers book. I was going to say, like, I mean, the image quality of the version that I watched certainly wasn't going to reveal that. Um, because I, I watched, <laughs> I watched the iTunes version, which I get my 4K print. Yeah, what's my iTunes version with like it's it's four three aspect ratio and it's scan lines, like actual scan lines on iTunes, which is great. Apple, Apple know what they're doing because <laughs> they know that like like the way to watch this is on a phone. Yeah. As as originally intended, yeah. but like, but it, it does yeah. like it's so odd watching it now because it does feel like a kind of a, a historical artifact. And again, it's notable that like because of that, the picture clarity is not great. So there are sequences where, like, I think the sequence where they go to Project Rebirth, like when it's now, is it what is it now? Is it now a hair salon or something where he goes into the women's room? Yeah. And he punches through the wall. Oh, it's, it's a, a diner. diner. It's still a diner. It's, a it's still a diner. But like that, that sequence is so dark. It's impossible to see what's happening with like all the action. Right. It wasn't much easier on my pristine new VHS version. <laughs> that is source related. Yeah. As much as anything else. Yeah. I I I turned up my monitor kind of full um brightness to the point that I realized that there is there is a tiny insect <laughs> behind my, my monitor that is that is crawling about in it. And I was like, oh that's new. <laughs> This little red guy. What? Um, but yeah, still couldn't see um, like large parts of this movie. There's some really aside from like bad lighting. There's some. There's some very bad font. Yes. In it, like um, and there is like sub. There is subtitles some subtitles. As well, Only some stuff, which I where, love. It's like yeah, it feels like a, a, a kind of at first it felt like a choice. 
like like the third man where you don't have any subtitles but then it was like okay they're going to give some subtitles but not others and then it, it's they looked um, at the budget and they said we can only afford three lines of subtitles choose them wisely <laughs> exactly yeah yeah that it's like what are you doing i'm i'm trying to translate all this italian stop that <laughs> like, you know, just get this get this done yeah. so we can put it on a video. <laughs> Mysterious if they don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well it, 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 Nolan took a lot of kind of <laughs> He's um, from that. <laughs> um, inspiration from this. Um But yeah, no, and, and in terms of like we haven't actually talked about Captain America yet or Steve Rogers in this. Um interesting choice. Matt Salinger not necessarily like a great defining actor um and i would argue somewhat overcast overshadowed by like the supporting cast of this is surprisingly decent for like what the movie's budget was and what it looks like it cost so like ronnie cox who i know isn't an a-lister but had done like robocop and had been around from deliverance scott paulin who again had been i think in the right stuff in movies like that as well you have like ned Beatty, um who had been in obviously like the superman movies but obviously also deliverance and kind of like a character actor who'd been about darren mcgavin um who is you know like a fixture of american television um who'd been Sorry? Projects. Yeah, Colchak. <laughs> no, I said he's been in like 60, 600 TV shows and movies. Yeah. Um, and like Bill Mummy as well is there, even in a small role. I only realized on second viewing that that's meant to be the same character because the movie's so clear at communicating who these people are and what their relationship to one another is. Um, but like. Yeah, it, I, I think there was a headline that said. Um, Kimball elected wins president. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, like in case it's not clear. Yeah. Um, like, but like um, that's that's he got elected and now he's going to be president. And it's like there is a few lines like that. It's like I will take this and give it to the Red Skull. <laughs> Just like, this 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 is oh now I found this thing. I will take this and bring it to the Red Skull. <laughs> kind of. Um, Again, like the aud- well, it knows its target audience is is children who are only half paying attention to it. To be fair, um, but like the precursor to the door of the explorer type screenwriting. Precursor door of the explorer, but I think that a generation raised on that kind of cartoon is partially why everybody online pretends to need explainers yeah. for everything. Yeah. Well, part of of me wonders if that's why Ronnie Cox thought the script was so good. It's like, I have, I've never followed a script as clearly as I follow this. I can, I can see it in my head right now. This is why it's so brilliant. Um, You didn't realize that wasn't stage direction. It was dialogue. (laughs) But like, in terms of like Matt Salinger as Steve Rogers, apparently, according to Pion and according to Salinger, they'd originally planned to do something, again, something similar to what they would eventually do with the first Avenger, which is to have two different actors play the role of Steve Rogers to show the before and after transformation. So it would have been like a, a wee nerdy guy beforehand and then Matt Salinger would step out of the machine or out of the injection. Uh, but apparently that was vetoed by Marvel itself, which is interesting. But it's kind of odd because like when Steve Rogers is introduced, he's Matt Salinger. He's gigantic. Yeah. And he's also in But shock. he has polio. Yeah. So they have him like kind of limp. Yeah, um, he has a limp. But he's not in a wheelchair or anything. Like he's, he's taller he's, than he's, his mother. And it, yeah, he's, he's huge. Like he's not only like introduced as as you know Matt Salinger. He's shot at an angle that makes him look tall with an actor who also makes him look tall on a set that makes him look too like he's scooping to fit on it. You know. 
and they definitely if 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 they weren't going to uh use two actors for Captain America, they should they should definitely have have um have used um two actors for is it Bertie? Um Oh yes, the, the girlfriend um, Bernice and Sharon. Even even like on the phone <laughs> or, or on like a bad VHS, um, the old age makeup is Not great. Um, truly <laughs> awful. Yeah. And I wonder, like watching these movies, like you didn't need to do that. I guess they had paid for the guy to do <laughs> the uh, old age makeup. The makeup and the cast two actors. Yeah, I suppose. But like that's the thing is like with with Sal and then like the problem is when Salinger does his transformation, he's in a set which is much bigger and much more open. So he ironically looks smaller after they've injected him with the stuff. And like again, part of me admires the movie's um speed, shall we say? Or it's kind of like it's it's willingness to kind of expedience to get where it's going. The moment, like, as soon as he's transformed, you have the kind of senator walking, or there's, like, the intelligence operative walking up. He's like, congratulations on the successful experiment. Heil Hitler, die traitor! Um, in, like, a sense of, did we, do we need a second take on that? It's like, nope, got it. That You, you hit all the beats there. Um, it's not L. Ron Hubbard, um, <laughs> like, you know, wrote writing everything on butcher paper and getting getting it, you know, kind of like printed. Yeah, it's, <laughs> um, it's, it's good. Um, but like... I think part of the issue, and I don't know if you get around this, is that most of the stuff that people came to a Captain America movie to see happens in the first act of the picture. Yeah. It's the opposite of the problem you have in most franchises nowadays where they save everything for the last 10 minutes and say, okay, now we'll give you what you want in the sequel. Uh, this does the opposite, where you know it burns through all of its good stuff in the first act, um, and there there is certain dramatic value in him waking up and rediscovering his old life, yada yada yada. But that's not, first of all, it's not that dramatically interesting just because of the budget and the talent involved, yada yada yada. And B, again, that's that's not what anyone comes to a Captain America movie for. You can get what this movie is offering in any number of other kind of movies, and. And I think, like, like again, you know, the, the thing that First Avenger does rather well is it understands that that opening half hour is an entire movie of itself. Yeah. Because, like, the, the opening act of this Captain America has to be its own self-contained story. It has to, like, get to, you know, well, where is he? Where does he come from? Who is his enemy? Um, How does he end up in the ice? Who's he fighting? What does he prevent? It's like, oh, he saves, you know, like, he has to save the White House from a gigantic missile heading towards it, like, 30 minutes into the movie, Anything he does after he kicks that, like a horse. <laughs> yeah. But any, like it is what you do, kind of, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're strapped to a rocket. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. we've all been there. And I love like the close shot again, so wonderfully cheesy. The shot that he has of like Captain America's facial silhouette. But things, things like the fact that the movie, like, has to rush through all that, and it's like that is a movie of itself, and then effectively restart in its second act. And I think, like, I think the movie's second act is probably its weakest part because it it's like they, they have the first act and they know the last act is going to be he fights the Red Skull again and the president's there. The second act is just, like, the legwork of joining it, the shoe leather of joining it up. So it's like, he's uh, Thawd in uh, Alaska and uh, he runs south and uh, the Red Skull's hench people are there. They've got dirt bikes. He, well, he steals a lot of cars. Oh, yeah, no. He, he just happens to find Sam on the road at the same point that the Red Skull's hench people attack him. 
And then he steals Sam's car, leaving him stranded in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I like to imagine the part of the reason why Sam was so easy to kill was because he was exhausted from walking back from Canada. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, people online complain about Captain and Marvel stealing some guy's motorcycle. Yeah. This guy steals <laughs> two cars. And, keep it <laughs> and it's... Amazing was shot right then and there. It's such it's such a kind of a weird thing that the way that he does it as well, because the movie pays so much attention to it. He doesn't just like shove them out of the car. Or he doesn't like wait you, until they're You get free government cars in Canada as well. You could have just got one. Like he didn't have to steal it. Sorry. <laughs> I think there's also a certain narrative redundancy in the second act where he meets six you know, a few people and tells them basically the same yeah. story. And and like you get you get this half like half baked man out of time stuff where he meets a bunch of goths who ask him for a cigarette and sees a woman in a bikini in a moment that feels like it's like yeah this is a twelve year old boy's gonna film can we have a woman in a bikini walk by and he goes to the house and he, like it's it's a nice like it's probably the nicest shot in the film where you get the kind of crane shot down as he's running down the street but it's like yeah no you're not you're not going to give this any room to breathe because then then he goes he does a crash course in American history. His old sweetheart gets murdered and he ends up having to save the president. There's no room for this to be a character study. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of like, like I like that it does because I appreciated this movie being short. Yes. You know, that I, I like that it was an hour and 40 minutes and didn't dwell over it. Like, like um, Secrets of the Ooze. Like there, there, there is there is a long kind of a period in that that I that I didn't enjoy where they're all in a kind of a house in the country and they're, kind of, um, you know, they're sad, I think, because Splinter died. You're referring to the first Ninja Turtles movie. Is that like the they, second one, Secrets of the Ooze? They all get almost beaten to death by the foot plant. Oh, yeah. And you're I wrong. Did. Excellent. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, never mind. I, I, I moved out and struck it from the record. <laughs> Watch yourself. <laughs> you, get a, you get a warning. Yeah. Um, but no, like, and, and that sort of stuff. And, and like, the weird sense you get that the movie's kind of embarrassed by the Steve Rogers uniform, despite the fact the Rogers, like the Captain America uniform was apparently designed by the same people who designed the Batman costume from 1989. Don't know if it was actually built by them or made by them, but I believe it was designed by them. But the fact in which like it spends so much of the movie avoiding putting him in the uniform, which is odd these days when most superhero movies can't wait to get there. But like, do you notice the ears? Yeah, the ears are weird. The rubber ears. Because they couldn't figure out how to get his ears to fit through the hood and make them look real. And they also figured that, like, if he wore the ears under the hood, that would look distracting. So the solution they came up with was to have him wear his, put it over his ears and wear fake rubber ears on top of it. Also distracting. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah. But again, it's kind of like, how does that look? Terrible. It's like... Shoot it. Yeah. Shoot it. Go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's get this done. Air? You know, <laughs> he's in the costume, you know, right up and gets buried in the ice. And then he takes the costume off when he's trying to be incognito. And then he puts it back on when it's time to kick ass and save the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, the... It didn't bother me as much as, you know, the first time I watched it, I was like, you better put on that costume in the finale. You better put on that costume in the finale. <laughs> well, when... The nitpick. When I, the heat I, is I, on. Universe. 
to, to this day, yeah, okay, fine. It's not a good movie. I loved it when I was seven, whatever. But to this day, I'm still pissed at the action finale. E-Man's not wearing his costume and Skeletor's wearing his weird gold costume. Like, no, I want the traditional hero costume versus the traditional villain costume. That's what I paid for. And particularly when these yeah. things were rare and like you were, you knew that like this might be the only one you get for another 20 years. It yes. was like, yeah, you got one shot. Do it right. Um, but I, yeah. I, I think it also makes sense. Like, like the, the, the complaint about kind of bad movies sometimes is 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 that they don't make sense. I th- I, th- I think it makes sense in loads of ways that it, that it, that it, that, it, that he's wearing it. Like like they'd be, be because it, it's the it's the kind of flame retardant or fireproof kind of um uh, that uh, uh, suit that he's putting on, kind of like to 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 go into battle. But it also makes sense that that it's this um Italian um woman who went to America to um to um be, be, um and has bought into what um I guess America represents. And the chance yeah, because she has given. that big thing where it's like you cho- you chose to be here. Like that's the thing you chose, and the Red Skull didn't choose, and that's why America is better. And it's it, it kind of escaping um, the villains, but also like escaping this fascist regime and what they stand for and what they've done, and um, and making us um, this uh, essentially American flag um, for him to to wear when he drops into Germany. Um, so, so I, I, I thought it worked on so many levels. Like you can say it's ridiculous, and it is, but, but it, it's, um, it, 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 it kind of makes sense um, narratively and almost logically. Oh yeah, no, I wasn't complaining about the, the costume. I actually, I actually really like the costume, and I like that the costume is bright and colorful. Like I like that. You know, I think one of my issues with, um, like the. Marvel movies is that for all or the MCU movies is that like while you get great examples like Thor Ragnarok or Guardians of the Galaxy a lot of the stuff Most feels it's really grey a lot of it feels really grey and desaturated and I know that we're talking about like a VHS transfer quality copy here but I like that he's like he's wearing bright blue he's wearing bright red he's wearing white he's not wearing grey like when when they when the first Avenger does it they have to put it in like the grounding of the USO show in order to like explain it away or make it make sense and then when he's wearing his soldier uniform it is it's a it's a kind of a gray shade of blue and the red is kind of faded and dirty and it's like yeah this is grounded and and real and gray i like that this movie is unapologetically like no he's going on a camouflage mission behind enemy lines and he's wearing a superhero costume draped in the american flag because this is a comic book movie like and because symbolism yeah funny joke that I really like where he just says she didn't know much about camouflage yeah. and that's all you need that's that's all you need like uh, again a lot of the dialogue here is very uh we need to explain or exposit a lot it's like so when do I get my whole platoon it's like well see funny thing is she didn't write down her formula so uh yeah I guess it's just the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so- and, and, and that, that's it's great because they, they, they have like this kind of cheesy line at the end which is um but uh, remembering all of those who sacrificed all to make our world a better place. A lot of those people were kind of sent in these missions, the people who devised them, knowing that these people were going to yeah. die. Um, and, and, and they did it. And, and, and we, we, like, as bad as the world is now, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, well, no, that, that's Captain America. That's the romance of Captain America. He's the guy, he went and he fought the good fight. And 
he kind of went away and he suffered, but he came back, which is kind of like the romance of it as well. He's he's he managed to come home eventually. He came home, sort of thing. But and and I liked as well the the whole idea of the there's some idea that the that the of of, of there being the secret um a uh, a uh, cabal that is complicit in the underlying evil of this world. Like, like like what you were saying with with Godfather Part Three, but the 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 character of Fleming. Yeah, the general. Where, the, the, as as Scott pointed out, like the rare like the military industrial complex, like literally the Pentagon. Like where Kimball's like, you guys and the Pentagon aren't gonna stop me. And it's like, wait, hold on, is this suggesting that the president is at odds with a conspiracy within the US government? It's like, well, so, so so many presidents have have kind of like since well, Dwight Eisenhower Eisenhower was have, yeah. have been kind of um, skeptical of the military industrial complex, and then they get briefed. <laughs> they say, "Well, I'll never do that again." Um, I learned my lesson. Uh, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have the little like mind control implant put in, and or whatever. Anyway, so, sorry, sorry, we we won't get very deep into that. But I love the line of of um, President Kimball saying to Fleming, "Like, you're not going to be able to weasel your way out of this one," and he's like. Really? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then he punches. Um, and again, like that. Like, and again, the sheer wish fulfillment of. Ke- I think Cox is actually really good here because he has that moment where he's, he's yeah, where like, where like Captain America's like, get behind me, sir. I'm going to ask you to seek shelter. He's like, I'm not abandoning Captain America again. And it's like, darn dude. It's like every school, every schoolboy's fantasy. He's like, I get to save Captain America, and I get to be president of the United States. And I get to stand up to the military industrial complex. This is just perfect. This is like the perfect wish fulfillment fantasy. All right. Uh, well, yeah, as, as you said, it's, it's a Jimmy Carter that can kick ass and take yeah. names. Um, and arguably like responding exactly. to criticisms of Carter, like the, the swamp rat that arguably cost him the election, if you believe some some accounts of it. Um, all right. I think we're Was gonna... it the cheese uh, cheese caves <laughs> as well? <laughs> um, government cheese? Um, that, that, that could have won him the election. When people realized, including Mark Wahlberg, who I, I, I think we spoke uh, about yeah. earlier, um, government loves cheese government burger. cheese. Yeah. Um, and so it says it was, it was it, like the way it melted on anyway you can thank Jimmy Carter for that yeah no the Wahlburgers um, does serve government cheeseburgers um, alright then I think we're about wrapping up here but is there anything else we want to talk about anything we haven't discussed already so Scott anything about this movie that you think we haven't kind of covered or talked about that you think merits gonna no uh, I, I think you know I think we've discussed why it works why it doesn't work uh, but you know it's it's again it it it, it sticks out on the side even to a greater extent than something like, you know, the Rocketeer or the Shadow, which were sort of pulp adaptations of characters that today's kids, 20 years ago, hadn't really, 30 years ago, hadn't really heard of. Most kids knew Captain America was, even if they weren't fans of the character. You know, you knew, okay, that's Captain America. He fights the scary guy with, it's called the Red Skull, who's a red bleeding skull. And it's something to do with World War II and the Nazis. And he operates a chain restaurant based in Ireland. Um, and he operates a chain restaurant based in Ireland. We had a restaurant over here for several yes. years called Captain America's. It's very popular. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the um, we the, the, um, it's a it's a good place to go if you want a cocktail that comes out of a vat. <laughs> um, uh, and I think the film is without giving it too much credit because I think it was the Times. It's confrontational, politically confrontational in a way that was more common when these films were cheaper and less on the line. It, it's so true. And, and and there's a kind of a, um, there's some subtle stuff 
like like there there is um the fodder in the oh by the way the transition from from one scene to the next is amazing because you have the the daughter of Bernie like screaming and then it immediately like cuts to kind of like you know birds um <laughs> singing and that and it's really jarring and kind of like funny uh, but but they they have um her father in in bed and they have like family fortune is on the the television and then she hands like a bible to him it felt like it was a kind of i don't know like whether it was or not but but if ronnie cox is right about this being the best script he had ever read and who like, are we to tell ronnie cox they, he's wrong that kind of like trifecta of like family money and religion and of of of, of being kind of I don't know, but probably I'm giving the movie too much credit, but it felt like there was some sort of a strange kind of a um, uh, kind of cynicism, I guess, about kind well, of American values or something. Well, to bring those two ideas together, to bring what Scott said and what you said together, I mean, this is the time at which you had Oliver Stone emerging with movies like JFK. You had like The X-Files was going to be one of the biggest shows of the ensuing decade. I think it was in the in the air. And I think it's an interesting thing to do with Captain America embodying America to do that. I mean, I don't think it goes particularly deep on it, but I do think it's there. And I think the movie is kind of playing with it and engaging with it. Um, all right, then. I think that about wraps it up, then, unless there's anything to talk about, anything we haven't discussed already. Um, is there any food waste or inappropriate smoking, Andrew? Oh, I, did, I didn't picture any. I imagine there might have been trips. some in the diner. Um, with, with, um, with, when all those women ran screaming out. Yeah, exactly. They probably, yeah, didn't, finish they probably didn't finish their meals. And um, inappropriate smoking. No, I can't think of any. Um, no, but there were, there were lots of uh, Robocop references. Um, all right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something you're enjoying at the moment, something you might recommend for listeners to enjoy. Uh, so to give Scott a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. So a... F- a- a film about somebody who wasn't given a great chance in 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 life, um, but overcame those challenges is Gattaca. <laughs> um, I, I always um, uh, plug um, Gattaca, and I'll and I'll I'll do it again. Um, and and I mean, it does have a similar sort of thing. Yep, he there's like lots of genetic tampering going on. There's surgical procedures. He's on a table on a slab. He's blonde. He's two actors playing one character, which is you know what they wanted to do here. Yeah. I think you can draw and, a pretty straight line. It's it's a kind of a companion piece because this is it's about a person um, kind of achieving things in spite of science, um, and and because of some kind of. Uh, but like I, I feel, I feel, <laughs> I was going to defend Captain America earlier on and say like, no, he was always. Um, uh, I've just forgotten the name of Rogers. Um, Steve. He, he was, was always Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers. He was always this big tall guy. Um, you know that, that, <laughs> I, that he I had it in the, him all the time. Um, I love that. That's the reverse of like the message, as, as kind of like Scott pointed out, like the the message that Stanley Tucci imparts, the core of the MCU character, which is like it's important that you keep what's inside you as your outside changes. I love that Andrew's like, nope, the outside also doesn't change. <laughs> It's a physical embodiment of of of, <laughs> of, of something spiritual. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, 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 um, yeah. Anyway, no, I, I would, um, the, um, the indomitable power of the human spirit. Um, in, there's no gene for the human spirit. Andrew. No, no, there's not. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that. And and I guess because because we talked about 
um Chopin's um uh, 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 preludes um I'd I'd recommend them but there's none in particular that I like as much as 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 Snowdrop but if you're into that kind of piano music um check out Beethoven's piano sonatas uh, performed by Wilhelm Kempf they're great perfect and Scott what would you recommend for this next what are you enjoying at the moment oh uh, well, first of all yes Gattaca rocks um that's one of the best hard sci-fi films of the 90s um in relation to this picture if you can well it doesn't have to be well i'm, I'm thinking uh i you know again the, the two-part pilot of the flash is a fascinating time capsule as well as being a really strong tv pilot slash superhero movie i don't know what theaters were open where and when uh but a quiet place 2 is good uh that will be in theaters well, it'll be a month of it. It's airs, apparently. Never mind. Um, but around the um, world, it might be. It's, it's, it might be, it's rolling out. I so. wasn't last nine, but you might disagree. And that'll be in theaters everywhere by the end of next month. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt. Uh, you know. I need to, do I need to, I need to watch Ace, but do I, I, I imagine that I also guess to watch Hobbs and Shaw. Um, is that important? Uh, you definitely don't need to watch Hobson Shaw. Uh, I would say if you're going to watch any of them, watch the first one. Because without the details, this is as much a sequel to the first one as it is to the well, yeah, I, I think I've, I think I've, I've seen parts of the second. And I've seen none of Tokyo Drift. Um, no, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's. You know, like, frankly, like the MCU, this is a franchise that's very good at including all of its continuity without making it impossible for newbies or general audiences to just enjoy the latest installment. You're very right. I, I, I showed my uh, my fiance's uh, sister, um, fa- the, like the end of Fast and Fur- Furious 5, Fast 5, is, it, is, it, is that what it's called? Yeah. And, yeah. and she was like, this is this is a thing now yeah, that I watch. One. I'm going to watch all of these movies. Um, well, <laughs> random story from a decade ago. I had I would I got invited to a super early and very close to me screening to Fast Five. So this is before it was a job, so I could get away with sneaking into these things. Um, I had never seen any of the previous four films. I rented them from Blockbuster. That was a thing back then. Um, didn't like any of them. I didn't like Part One, Part Two part three or part four walked into fast nine anyway and loved it now fast Furious is, is the rare franchise where the fifth installment is the one that like arguably is the best to set yeah. i mean you know william shatner you know no with apologies to william shatner that that seldom ever happens <laughs> um, <laughs> part five followed by an exceptional part six yeah yeah um all right, then, in terms of recommendations for myself, something vaguely related to this, um, I quite enjoyed Modoc on Hulu. Oh, the, the fifth uh, Star Wars movie. That's uh, that's arguably the... the Attack of the Clones, uh, yeah. Attack of the Clones? No, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do appreciate that myself and Scott went to the same place. Um, it's... All right, for myself, yeah, recommend Modoc. I quite enjoyed Modoc. It is very bright. It's very silly. It's very comic booky. Um, it's, it's a show that unapologetically features a giant green dragon wearing purple pants, uh, which is again what you kind of want from a comic book superhero adaptation. Uh, Pat Oswalt's greatness. What movie was this? Uh, this is Modoc, the TV show on Hulu. Um, oh, okay, okay, Modoc. Yes, Modoc. I quite enjoyed it. Now, it's it's not perfect. It has its flaws. It doesn't really work as a sitcom, but it, it's kind of it's. 
charming and engaging enough that I kind of went along with it. And I watched the first episode and I enjoyed it, but I realized, you know, I will enjoy this more if I don't binge it all in one shot. That's exactly it. That these days. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. Like, I would argue that it's because of the format where it's it's playing like a Simpsons type game yeah. where it's the same structure each episode uh, and the same conflicts and the same arcs. It's like, yeah, split them out, spread them yeah. out. I had to watch all eight for work over the space of like five hours or all ten over the space of five hours. And I was kind of like, I really wish that I'd been able to space them out because um, I, I did actually. I really, really enjoyed them. So that's what I would recommend um in terms of that all right then so scott you gave a plug at the start of the episode but let's just refresh listeners you are at forbes um you're also forbes.com my twitter handle is at scott mendelson and that's basically what you need to know to find me perfect um now we may or may not be back in the middle of this week with a special treat for listeners are we andrew it it, it, it may just come in the next few minutes <laughs> after <laughs> after a little sting but yeah, no, we 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 may um have Andy Mellowish, um of um of 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 no magazine, <laughs> um, of 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 sorry, not 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 um not of Forbes dot com, um, but um he he may um uh, lend lend his 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 thoughts about the movie um to us, or we may release as a as a bonus. We're in contract negotiations with Scott. With Andy, yes. Yeah, so when we mentioned we were doing Captain America, one of our friends was like, I love Captain America! I demand to talk about Captain America. And who are we to say no? to ask him several times, which Captain America? <laughs> yeah, to be absolutely clear. Um, but we'll be back next week on Saturday as well, where we'll be continuing our journey through the deepest, darkest regions of the bottom 100, a movie that Andrew is desperately excited to talk about. I told him that this has been a surprise new entry, and Andrew's like, we are oh, doing yes. this. It is Da Bang 3, starring Salman Khan, the Bollywood smash hit, Circumquel, I think is what they call it from last year i'm really really looking forward to checking it out it is on amazon prime if listeners want to give it a watch with us as well um thank you so much scott Scott. really enjoyed this this has been fantastic so 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 great to have you on and 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 thanks no you're absolutely welcome this has been lovely off the troll the top and bottom 250 somewhere else to sneak in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Any <laughs> That's what I I think like maybe even Andy didn't realize. Oh, I could have just told you that I wanted to cover that. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 we asked him. Anyway, yeah, never yeah. mind. That's a separate conversation <laughs> with Andy. Scott, good luck. Enjoy Thanks your screening. So Talk later, right? Cheers. Bye.